that hot cross bun is absolutely delicious, but I better put it down because we are bringing you a special Green Canary Easter Monday podcast. Now, we've departed from the normal uh, format of uh, your weekly green news wrap today, haven't we, Elfie Scott? Yeah, so because Ant and I are going to be taking a very well-deserved break and being quite sick on chocolate, I imagine, we are going to be bringing you an interview this week instead. And this is going to be a fascinating listen. Uh, We had a really great conversation. So I would just say sit back, relax, enjoy this podcast, and we will be back next week with the full news breakdown as per usual. And hopefully not a chocolate hangover. So today on The Green Canary, we are departing from our standard format of dissecting the week's green-themed news to bring you an interview with one of the most powerful voices on climate change in Australia, David Caroli. Now, we are lucky we've got this guy. And by we, I mean every Australian. David Caroli is a climate scientist in simple terms. He's an honorary professor at the University of Melbourne School of Geography, Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, where he taught for many years. David was leader of the Earth Systems and Climate Change Hub at the CSIRO for a few years, quite recently. He's been involved in four IPCC assessment reports. And I don't think he boasts about this, but he even shared in the Nobel Prize with Al Gore and a whole bunch of other people, but nonetheless, a shared Nobel laureate is still the first one we've had here on the Green Canary. So good for you, David Caroli. But David, you are much more than just an eminent climate scientist and educator, in my opinion. You see, back in the day, scientists were expected to do the research, maybe teach the research, but otherwise pretty much shut the hell up. But David, there's no shutting you up. You're a brilliant and sharp communicator of science. That's not just a, a comment upon your style and delivery, but upon the substance of what you say and sometimes the setting in which you say it, which is not always amenable to what you have to say. Now, David, you call things as you see them. And a couple of weeks ago, you wrote a stinging assessment of the current Liberal National Government's actions on climate uh, in the time since 2013 that they've been in office. That has been to the great detriment of our country, you wrote as a sort of summary to everything they've done. That, that piece, by the way, was, was actually the, the, the foreword uh, to a Climate Council report in, entitled The Lost Years, Counting the Cost of Climate Inaction. So David Carolla, you wrote the foreword to that, but as we'll find out, this was not criticism from afar. This was not ivory tower stuff. This was an assessment delivered from a man who had been at the red hot molten core of Australia's commitment to tackling climate issues or or, or what passes for that commitment. David, your story is an insider's story on how the system is broken, indeed how it was deliberately broken, you could argue, by this government. But but you also have thoughts that I guess no matter who wins this election on May 21, uh, thoughts about how we might just fix this broken system. Anyway, enough of the intro from me, David. Happy Easter. How are you? Uh, Hi, Ant. And I am doing very well. And it's beautiful and sunny here in southeastern Melbourne. Uh, Doing fine. Great, great. So how how did that sort of assessment uh, of your contribution sit with you? Yeah, you're an insider. You've seen the red hot molten core of, of, of the broken system. Let's let's go there. 
Yeah, look, um, the, the assessment in the Climate Council report is extremely accurate. And it's, it's really good to think about where we were back in 2009 to 2012, um, because at that stage, climate change was starting to be recognised by the Australian government as a critically important issue. Legislation was set up to put a price on carbon dioxide emissions and other greenhouse gas emissions by the Australian government. There was very strong opposition, but the combination government, a minority government by Labor and the Greens had established a whole range of, if you like, new authorities and new programs and Australian emissions were starting to fall for the first time from 2012 to 2014. So we had the Climate Commission, uh, which provided expert advice and info to the Australian public. We had the Emissions Trading Scheme as part of the Clean Energy Future legislation. We had the Clean Energy Finance Corporation to help support renewables projects. We had the Climate Change Authority to provide independent advice. Uh, how am I going? That's, that's the sort of... Uh, that was the vibe, wasn't it? That was the framework. We, we had these things in place. Absolutely. And I was a member of the Climate Change Authority, the only climate scientist who was on that body. Absolutely everything was full steam ahead in terms of Australia joining the global communities, the global governance, governments around the world to act on climate change, recognising the major issues it was for Australia and elsewhere. Problem then became... The Australian government was changed in the election in 2013, nine years ago, and Tony Abbott won the election. The Australian people decided they believed the misinformation that was being spun by the media, by the fossil fuel companies, and by the opposition then. They changed the government and all of a sudden, there was everything going into reverse and very full speed reverse to stop any action on climate change in Australia. Two, two words that, that no one will ever stop hearing echoing in their word, in their ear. Carbon tax. <laughs> because that was, the, that was Abbott's pitch that more or less won the election, wasn't it? The carbon tax. We're going to abolish the carbon tax. Well, it's also important to remember that, uh, you know, our current Prime Minister stood up in Parliament in Australia, breached the regulations of the House of Representatives, took a prop, a lump of coal into the Australian Parliament and said, who's scared of this? Now, I should point out that a lump of carbon, if thrown at you, would hurt a lot. A larger lump of coal, if burnt in fossil fuel power stations, is going to have a major impact on the atmosphere and on the global climate because the most recent IPCC report, when it came out, says that every tonne of carbon dioxide emissions from burning fossil fuels adds to global warming. So unfortunately, the current Australian government, for the nine years from essentially 20. 13 to the present has tried to make global warming worse. Now, one of the things they did on day two of office, I believe, was they abolished the Climate Change Commission um, or the Climate Commission. Um, it, you know, became, well, it had to start again, start life again as the Climate Council. So it, was, it is now crowdfunded or publicly funded. 
rather than government funded. They kept the Climate Change Authority. You soldiered on there as, as you mentioned, the only climate scientist. But in, I think, 2014-15, and this is a really important moment, a bunch of people resigned from that. They just went, look, you're ignoring the targets. We've, we've, we're scientists. We've made these, we're experts in various ways. We've made these targets. You've ignored them. You keep ignoring them. We're banging our heads against the wall. There is no point. You stayed on. Why? And what happened next? Yeah, look, that's a, a long story, but I will try to give the very much abridged version. 2014-2015, uh, the Climate Change Authority issued a new report on Australian progress in terms of emission reductions and on what Australia's target should be in 2030 for essentially Australia's fair contributions to emission reductions. The recommendation was essentially much, much stronger emission reductions, 40 to 60% emission reductions in Australia by 2030, much greater than the federal government was recommending at the time. Federal government, basically Abbott government and then Turnbull government, basically completely ignored the recommendations from the Climate Change Authority. A number of people resigned, but I continued on because I felt it was important to provide the information to the Australian Parliament and the Australian people. Given the resignations, a whole bunch, essentially five new members of the Climate Change Authority were appointed. They were appointed by the new government. They stacked the group. They had the majority votes on the Climate Change Authority. And for the first time ever, a report was put out that completely ignored the previous recommendations from the Climate Change Authority basically said, we're going to completely accept the recommended targets from the Australian government. Despite my concerns about this, despite other people's concerns, we eventually published a minority report that basically said the new membership from the Climate Change Authority has changed everything. And in practice, all their recommendations aren't worth the paper that they're printed on. So you went full Tom Cruise mode. I love that. And I refer to the 2002 film Minority Report, which starred Cruise, but was actually a uh, film version of a uh, novella by Philip K. Dick, who uh, wrote the original thing that they turned into Blade Runner. So um, you went full Blade Runner. You went, you went full Harrison Ford. I, can, I mean, what you actually did was you went full David Caroli, didn't you? Because your conscience told you that, look, if they're going to stack it, with people who are effectively shills for, for, for their own government, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna strike back and say, no, nope, this report is junk. You published a minority report. Let's move on. What happened? What happened next? Uh, look, I survived my term. I won't call it sentence, but term of five years <laughs> in the Climate Change Authority. Um, finished in 2017, and since that time, the Climate Change Authority this body that still exists and i should point out let's go back a little bit it still exists because that australian hero in inverted commas clive palmer got a photo shoot joint with al gore and decided to stop the australian government dissolving the climate change authority i'm not sure that that's the only one thing that i think clive palmer is uh <laughs> how would i say can be celebrated for um, but look, it's critically important to recognise the Climate Change Authority still exists, still has a legal responsibility to provide 
independent, in inverted commas, independent advice on targets and Australian greenhouse gas emission reductions, all their reports have only ever agreed with the federal government's targets. They're so, a waste of paper. Right, so you've just made it very clear, but, but I guess the news journalist in me, you know, uh, tick, 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 60 minutes. So what you're saying is they're not independent. Uh, that's correct. They were appointed by the new government if they're not independent, and they haven't had a climate scientist on that group, the Climate Change Authority, since I left. They say they're getting independent advice from the Bureau of Meteorology and from CSIRO, but they're both funded by the current Australian government, very nervous about funding cuts by the government in terms of climate change science. And so they're beholden to the government for their funding and they will not agree. Dis so they will not disagree with anything the federal government says in terms of actions on climate change. You are effectively alleging deliberate obfuscation by the government, which has uh, led Australia for the last nine years of, of climate science. Uh, and there's a load, yeah, there's a load of evidence in this Climate Council report, in my own experience, that the federal government, CSIRO, and the Bureau of Meteorology are trying to, in some sense, maintain the status quo and are not keen for stronger action on climate change in terms of emission reduction, because the government doesn't want to do it. Why doesn't the government want to do it? Well, look, there's a whole range of reasons. They would argue the government doesn't want to do it because at the last election, they got voted in with their current do-nothing policies. Or should I say, to, they're not doing nothing. It would be really nice if they were not doing anything. Unfortunately, their policies are to promote increased greenhouse gas emissions in Australia from ongoing coal-fired power stations or a gas-led recovery of industry, both of which make global warming worse, as well as ongoing coal mining and exports of Australian coal and Australian natural gas around the world to make profits for fossil fuel companies and to make global warming worse. The simple question is, do you want to vote for a government that wants to make global warming worse, or do you want to vote for a government that is trying to, as rapidly as possible, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. That's a key question at the election on the 21st of May. Okay, David, let's, let's uh, sort of cut to the chase here. Let, let's, let's actually go forward a bit. Um, let's, let's try and put our positive hat, hat on. Um, the Green Canary is a podcast with, I hope, a, a growing listenership across the political spectrum. Um, I don't want to say you can only vote for one party who's going to deliver this. It appears that, that on climate, it appears that that may be the case at the next election. But let's talk in broad terms. Whoever takes office, what do they need to do? What bodies do they need to establish or re-establish? What's the blueprint for meaningful climate action by the Australian government, no matter what flavour that government is? Uh, look, what is critically needed is a very rapid transition from our current economic system to a zero carbon 
economy, zero in terms of carbon dioxide emissions and emissions of other long-lived greenhouse gases. We know how to do that because we can power our economy with electricity generated by solar power, wind power, tidal power, wave power. We can also use that electricity to generate a green hydrogen economy and produce many jobs through renewable energies all around Australia, as well as new jobs through the green hydrogen economy. We do not need and we should not have a gas-led economy. We need a hydrogen-powered economy. Plenty of opportunities there, and they will provide jobs throughout Australia. We also need to transition away from essentially cutting down native forests and get around to replanting more vegetation across Australia and maintaining all the long-term uh, forests that exist in around Australia, as well as planting more trees. We need to redevelop biodiversity and natural ecosystems across Australia in cities, in regional areas, and stop clearing land. Land clearing and a uh, positive investment climate, I suppose, for, for those who want to pursue renewables and, 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 and green hydrogen down the track. That's, that's what a government can meaningfully do, isn't it? So Absolutely it is. And look, it's critically important to recognise that actually many parts of the business sector have been leading activities around Australia, as well as all the state governments have had stronger emission reduction policies than the federal government. So in some sense, the part that's slowing down action in Australia is the federal government. All the states and territories have stronger action. But it's also important to look at what young people are doing in terms of leading some of the grey-haired old farts like myself in terms of action because they recognise that climate change is going to be much worse for them in 10 years' time, in 20 years' time, in 50 years' time. And it's the, their parents and their grandparents who are the major cause of this problem. We don't have enough young people in parliament, but we have seen with the school strike for climate, young people taking strong action. David Caroli. You are absolutely one of the most important and, and um, vibrant and knowledgeable and terrific voices in the whole of uh, the Australian climate change uh, sphere, if you like. Thank you so much for talking to the Green Canary this Easter. You're welcome, Anne. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to Elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded. Thanks, Selfie. Well said as ever. And I'd just like to remind everyone that we're out there on Twitter at Green Canary Pod. Again, this week, we've had some great convos with some of you. So thank you very much. We're also on Instagram at Green Canary Media. So say hello to us there as well. And if you don't subscribe to our podcast, terrible things may happen to you, but I hope they don't. But it's <laughs> worth subscribing at hello at thegreencanary.co. That is our email. Just email us away or you can direct message us on Twitter if you follow us there because we follow everyone who follows us because we're very nice. 
And the newsletter is a wrap of what's going on uh, in the Green News space. It's a bit like the podcast, but with plenty more. So please sign up there. You're not a canary person unless you're listening to the pod and getting the newsletter. <laughs> you get more and more threatening about it every week. I'm not trying to be threatening. I'm trying to be encouraging. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And we'll be back with the news podcast next week. Bye. Bye.